Hi, my name is Elliot, also known as Hilster or Mr. Hilster on this wonderful place called the internet. Today I shall be talking about the politics of objectivism. Now, if you don't know what objectivism is, I'd definitely recommend you check out my last video on the ethics of objectivism. And uh, if you did not watch the video, make sure to go watch that. I'm going to do quickly a recap for those that have forgotten a bit of what I talked about last video as well. So, a uh, quick recap. We last video talked about the metaphysics, uh, epistemology and the ethics. We mainly focused on the ethics, but I, w I went through uh, the uh, metaphysics and the epistemology just to uh, let you know a bit of the background before we got to the ethics part. So in metaphysics, we believe in reality, that A is A. In epistemology, we believe in reason, as uh, reason being an absolute, the way in which we find a truth within the universe. And within ethics, uh, we believe in rational self-interest or egoism. Uh, the uh, pursuit of uh, happiness or in pursuit of the kind of happiness that makes life worth living. Now we shall continue on from that which is uh, the politics and the application of these principles. So politics is the activities of governing a country and the question we ask ourselves is what is the proper role of government? So the proper role of government is to recognise the rights of the individual and protect the individual from the for use of force. So when we talk about individual rights, there's one main one of which all of our rights spring from, and that is the right to life. And that implies uh, the right to think and the right to act. And there should be nothing in the way that should get in the way of your thinking and the way of you acting in a way that is uh, consensual and not uh, using force against someone else. So the right to life is where we derive the rest of our rights from, such as the, the right to private property, for example, which is uh, the basically the right to own yourself and your own labour. Without the right to private property, you're almost a slave to the state or to the whims of other people. So I mentioned to protect the individual from the use of force, and I, I, I say here that the removal of force from human relationships. And why is that? It, the reason why we have the removal of force from human relationships is because force invalidates one's reason. And we talk about reason as being uh, the ultimate, the only way in which we can... Uh, find truth within the universe and if one hasn't got the ability to reason one doesn't have the ability to live because humans require reason to live and I'll, I'll explain that a bit more so basically uh one doesn't uh come pre-wired pre not uh pre uh wired in the head to be able to survive and uh when we talk about um reason in terms of uh the it's a requirement to live. You think about all the things we currently have in the world. You you don't come pre-wired to know how to make a wheel or to make an engine or to make a plane. One uses his reason to be able to make these things and that's what makes us and helps us survive. So to hinder one's reason is to prevent him the ability to survive. And finally, the political system of which we would live in is laissez-faire capitalism. Pure, unregulated capitalism. Some may ask, why uh, pure capitalism? Why unregulated? Why uh, is there going to be a possibility for social programs within government and things such as that? And the answer is no to all of these, to regulation and to government programs, because all of them require the use of force and uh, invalidates one's ability to reason. And I will continue on within uh, this presentation on why this is so fundamental. Uh, we'll start off here with a uh, quote from Elena Peikoff's Objectivism 
the philosophy of Ayn Rand. The economic value of a man's work is determined on a free market by a single principle, the voluntary consent of those who are willing to trade him their work or products in return. This is moral meaning of the law of supply and demand. It represents the total rejection of two vicious doctrines, the tribal premise and altruism. It represents the recognition of the fact that man is not the property nor the servant of the tribe, that a man works in order to support his own life, as by his nature he must that he has to be guided by his own rational self-interest. And if he wants to trade with others, he cannot expect sacrificial victims, i.e. he cannot expect the to receive values without trading commensurate values in return. The sole criterion of what is commensurate in this, const- in this context is the free, voluntary, uncoerced judgment of the traders. Towards the end of this presentation, I'll go into more detail of what the tribal premise and altruism uh, really say on this subject. The main words here are voluntary consent and uncoerced. To put in things such as regulation means that you must uh, coerce someone into doing your bidding and uh, must go off of something else other than voluntary consent. If someone consents to doing something, that doesn't necessarily follow the regulations. To enact those regulations, you must use force. And it's often really funny when I talk to people, when I when I talk to people and they, they're talking about human relationships and whether or not two people should be able to do anything they want with each other, as long as they both consent. Everyone's just like, yeah, of course, whether I want it to be a man and a woman or a man and a man and a woman or a woman, it doesn't matter, as long as they consent. But they do not translate that to business. If two people consent, they should be able to continue as they please. And the altruists and the egoists very much have different opinions on why capitalism is a moral system. In fact, the altruists don't even believe that capitalism is moral at all. They just see it as the best way to achieve the common good, that um, people working for themselves means it's good for everyone. But the egoists very much disagree with that premise. It's the only system constant with man's rational nature. It protects man's survival, qua man, and the ruling principle is justice. It is indeed just if two consenting people trade with each other mutually. Uh, It is not just for someone to get in the way and say that they can't do that unless they uh, abide by a certain set of rules that not either of them necessarily agree to, or if they're going to consent anyway, then what's the point in these rules that are getting in the way? And to take some money from someone else that earned it and give it to someone else that didn't doesn't necessarily deserve it, I'd see that as very much unjust. And there's a lot more going on behind the scenes of all of this back and forth, and I'll get into that now. So one of the things that people very much disagree about is the nature of good. And now there's three main ones uh, that I'll cover here. So the first nature of good is the intrinsic. Now the intrinsicists say that good is inherent in things or action. Good is divorced from beneficiaries and is divorced from value and the valuer and the purpose. The second is uh, the subjectivists. So the subjectivists say that good doesn't have any relation to reality. Good is created by feelings and is arbitrary. And the last one is the objective, and then the objectivists say that uh, good is an evaluation of reality in accordance to a rational standard of value. Good is an aspect of reality related to man. Good is discovered, not invented. The main sentence here is uh, in accordance to a rational standard of value. And when we say value, we we have a couple of questions uh, in mind. So we ask ourselves, to whom and for what does it value? And value 
for one, must have a purpose, and two, must have a beneficiary. And for these reasons, man's actions must be guided by his own reason, not by a philosopher king that tells him what is good and what he should value, but by his own reason he must be guided. This next quote is from Ayn Rand in For the New Intellectual. Value is that which one acts to gain and keep. Virtue is the action by which one gains and keeps it. Value presupposes an answer to the question of value to whom and for what. Value presupposes a standard, a purpose and the necessity of action in the face of an alternative. Where there are no alternatives, no values are possible. When people say, isn't there good, isn't there value in a welfare state? Well, no, there is no alternative for the people that paid into the system. This is another quote from Ayn Rand in Capitalism, The Known Ideal. If one knows the good is objective, i.e. determined by the nature of reality, but to be discovered by man's mind, one knows that an attempt to achieve the good by physical force is a monstrous contradiction which negates morality at its root by destroying man's capacity to recognise the good, i.e. his capacity to value. Force invalidates and paralyzes a man's judgment, demanding that he act against it, thus rendering him morally impotent. A value which one is forced to accept at the price of surrendering one's mind is not a value to anyone. The forcibly mindless can neither judge nor choose nor value. An attempt to achieve the good by force is like an attempt to provide a man with a picture gallery at the price of cutting out his eyes. Values cannot exist, cannot be valued, outside the full context of a man's life, needs, goals and knowledge. So what's wrong with the intrinsic and subjective perspective on the nature of good? So if good is independent from man's mind, there's nothing wrong with forcing him to do the good. And if good is arbitrary, it's a battle between my feelings and your feelings. And I'm definitely going to put my feelings over your feelings. So in both of these, uh, reason and objective reality is then not a way to communicate with each other. And force becomes the only way in dealing with one another. So it's really hard for an altruist to be able to weasel themselves out of this. When you talk about uh, whether it be regulation or the welfare state, uh, specifically the welfare state, when you say, oh, will these programs be funded if, uh, say, the government wasn't there to force people to fund them? They'd say, uh, oh, of course not. Well, if they're not going to be funded, that shows already that uh, the people that are currently being forced to fund them aren't doing it out of their own reason. It's just because it's been taken already and they have no uh, ability to be able to uh, say no at all unless they just want to go to jail and to be honest it's it's not uh, something that is beneficial to you to go to jail just be just to try and make a point of which too many people won't you know, care about you making. So if you believe reason and objective reality is the only way in which we can communicate with each other, force is going to invalidate that. Force invalidates what one is able to uh, value and believe as good. To force someone to do that doesn't make it good, it just makes him a sacrificial animal to the greater good of which you wish to push on other people. And then altruists are always fighting between each other on what is the greater good. So as I've explained, the objective theory is incompatible with force and would be contradictory. Force invalidates a man's judgment. A value one is forced to accept isn't a value. Values cannot exist outside the complete context of a man's life, needs and goals. And capitalism is the only system implicitly based on objective theory of values.
And capitalism is the only system based on the objective theory of values is because it has to be consensual. And if someone uh, values something and uh, another person has it and they have something that the other person will value, it's a mutual consent uh, within that trade for a value for a value. And those values are judged within the own context of your own life. And the only person that can do that is yourself. And as I've mentioned, as values are discovered through his own mind, man must be able to discover them in the context of his life, need, goals, and knowledge. If his value judgment is correct and based in reality, the rewards belong to him. And say, for example, if you're irrational and your value judgment isn't based in reality, say if you buy some sort of drug that is bad for you, you're going to face the consequences of reality that they are bad for you. And finally, the market reflects the socially objective value, not the philosophically objective value, and we shall define those now. So the philosophically objective value is a value estimated from the standpoint of the best possible man with the most rational mind possessing the greatest knowledge in a given category, in a given period, and a defined context. And of course, not everyone has uh, this ability to be able to be the most rational and reasonable person ever on every single subject, because not everyone can have all the knowledge of mankind at a given point. So instead, the market reflects a socially objective value, which is the sum of the individual judgments of all the men involved in a trade at a given time, the sum of what they valued, each in the context of his own life. This, however, doesn't mean that the socially objective value is subjective. To explain this, I've got a quote from Ayn Rand in Capitalism, The Known Ideal. This does not mean, however, that the values ruling a free market are subjective. If the sonographer spends all her money on cosmetics and has none left to pay for the use of a microscope for a visit to the doctor, when she needs it, she learns a better method of budgeting her income. The free market serves as a teacher. She has no way to penalise others for her mistakes. If she budgets rationally, the microscope is always available to serve her own specific needs and no more. As far as she is concerned, she is not taxed to support an entire hospital, a research laboratory, or a spaceship's journey to the moon. Within her own productive power, she does pay a part of the cost of a scientific achievement, when and as she needs them. Probably the best way to show what she's saying is the difference now in space travel. So when we talk about NASA and when we talk about SpaceX, so NASA, everyone within the US is paying so much in tax that some of it goes towards NASA. And with SpaceX, no one's paying, or there's some people sponsoring SpaceX out of their own consent, uh, but no one's paying any sort of taxation or anything like that to be able to get uh, SpaceX to get someone to Mars. SpaceX are looking long-term on what they can do about, you know, space travel and getting people to, say, Mars and how much people will end up paying for that in the future. And they're taking uh, the penalty now for all of these costs and in the future they're going to be reimbursed by people who are willing to pay for this service. The public pay for a scientific achievement when and if they need them. If they don't ever need them, like if someone doesn't want to go to Mars, then they're not going to end up paying for any of these achievements. And at the beginning, I mentioned two premises, and the first one was the altruist premise, and the second was the tribal premise. Now, the altruist premise seeks to rob the intelligent man of his rewards by saying that his duty is to serve the incompetent and sacrifice to their needs. 
Now these are very much the advocates of the mixed economy today. They say that you shouldn't be thinking about what your country can do for you, but what you should do for your country, which is the complete opposite way round of thinking. Government shouldn't be seeking to rob the intelligent man to give to the envious. Government should be protecting the individual rights of the individuals within the country. And finally, the tribal premise says that wealth is an anonymous tribal product. We all did something, but we're unsure who did what, so we must equally distribute it to everyone. So if the altruist premise is the advocate for the mixed economy, the tribal premise is definitely the advocates of uh, some sort of socialism or communism. The whole premise is disingenuous. It denies intelligence in any role in the production of wealth within the country. Now, those who oppose altruism or the tribal premise are trying to take you for fools. They tell you to try and deny reality, to try and deny your own reason, your own rationality, and your own reason to live. For we shouldn't be trying to deny intelligence, we should be embracing it. For the only reason for intelligence is why we are all here today, why I am able to speak to you right now, and why we are able to have these conversations. For civilization is built upon great men, and we should not allow the envious to come in and take that all away. So what you must do, you must fight for your rights, you must fight for your freedom, and you must fight for your rational self-interest. Thank you very much for watching this video. If you are an objectivist, please leave some information about how I did. If I did well, please tell me that I did well. If you think I left some things out, please let me know what I missed out. If you're not an objectivist, please let me know what you disagree on. And hopefully I can continue to be able to build upon my own knowledge and my own arguments on these subjects. So I hope you guys did enjoy, and I shall see you in a bizzle.